two lovers forbidden from one another. A war divides their people, and a mountain divides them apart. Built a path to be together. Yeah, I forget the next couple lines, but uh, then it goes. Secret tunnel, secret tunnel, through the mountain, secret, 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 secret tunnel, yeah. Welcome once again to Bitter Jurors. Um, we are a queer Avatar The Last Airbender superfan podcast. Um, I'm Derek Reining, and I'm experiencing some deja vu in this moment, Uh because of a little technical snafu. <laughs> so uh, we recorded, what, about half an hour of content, I'd say. Um, Google Meets, you know, just caved in on us. Um, but we didn't let the cave-in get us down. Um, and we are back. So if we repeat ourselves, the, that's your problem, honestly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh joining me as always is a man who i know has perfected his octopus form it's sam, sam. i have sam standard that's me i have never felt that are once again part of the introduction more apt i feel like <laughs> we are we are here once again uh avatar, to record. yes the avatar cycle has been reborn uh in the form of the same three people talking about the same episode again Book two, um, and, chapter two, take two. Yes, the cave of two lovers, part two. Um, and once With again, my two lovers. Yes, the other lover being, of course, Austin Trout. Hello, hello. It is hello. great to be back here again. <laughs> it's a weird feeling because we're starting this over, but I already know what's happening towards the end of the podcast. So it, it took a weird thing watching with the spoilers of the of our own podcast and how how we get to that energy i don't know but um we'll see we'll see what happens yeah because i don't really remember how exactly i was feeling during our recording but i remember it was all it all felt very weird so maybe it might have been for the best that it was cut off at the knees but i i don't because like i don't because like we we had talked for like half an hour and ba like barely discussed the episode like at all so <laughs> that, that was yeah. fun um, and if I'll put most of that on the end of this episode, if people want to listen to the that it, it, the 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 attempt at the episode uh, from two or three days ago, uh, Austin, how do you feel being the first three-time guest on the Bitter Drews podcast? Oh no, you're now tied with Lita, I think, for being the first three-time guest. Wait, is this three times because of doing this podcast twice? Yeah. <laughs> okay, we'll count. Oh. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter how the records are, are gotten. It just matters. Uh, you know, we, we don't want to focus too much on the journey. It's more about the going. What, is yeah. the, what was the quote from this episode? It was you really need to focus bad. less on the where and more on the going. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, Which well, I I'm, actually think is true. Like, I think it's true for all of us. We need to focus less on the destination and more on the getting there. Right. I'm not like a like huge, <clears throat> I know it works for a lot of people, but I don't like to constrain myself with too many goals. I feel like enjoying the going and the process and the journey is, is, uh, is the most important thing. I also think that it's important, like 
living every day, not really knowing when things will change up again. It's sort of just that living the same day over and over and over as many people are experiencing now. I think it's important to just like appreciate the moments you're in. It sounded almost like tinged with anxiety. Like you never know when it's all going to just come to an end. So better enjoy it while you're here. I meant more like uh, you never know when things are going to get better. But oh, since, it's, since it's something I said, it was tinged with anxiety. <laughs> yeah, well, how do you, you never know when, you know, how many goals did you have planned for the last six months? How many times have you had a goal in mind to get to Omashu and you get caved in a tunnel in the meantime? I mean... There's all kinds of things that can kind of change things up. So you have to enjoy where you are in the moment. A yeah, more important. Among... Oh, yeah, you go. I was just going to say, who among us has not tried to record a podcast only for a global Google Meet <laughs> mishap to go down? And Google Drive and Google Calendar. Oh, my damn. three my three favorite Google applications. Wow. Oh. Um, a, a better philosophical or like, I guess, better golden rule from this episode rather than focusing more on the where and less on the or more on the going and less on the where I strive to live every day doing whatever makes Aqua most comfortable. Absolutely. That was the sage advice of the episode, I would say, honestly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and also like, well, I don't know if we're getting into the episode yet or just staying on the philosophical points, but we can we can we can we can set up first because I was just going to talk about the beautiful braiding of Appa's hair, but that's probably we can we can wait on that. I I love Appa's hair. Um, he you know Appa serves a lot of looks. We get it's it's every it's every other every couple episodes they do something new, but I love whenever they switch something up on my beautiful white boy. <laughs> <laughs> He's the uh, only no. white character in the whole show. I need <laughs> yeah. to I need to get my representation where I can. Yeah, take yeah, white people. If you're looking for representation, <laughs> Appa is right there. Appa and Momo are two gay characters, two white gays, and they mm. aren't they aren't boyfriend twins. Like, what more can you ask for? It's true. Yeah, they're very different body types. Yeah, uh, not to literally skip to the end of the episode, but I love the moment where they like have a little catch up after uh, the incidents mm. of the episode. Like Momo's chatting away to Appa. So cute. So sweet. It is. I love that for them. The two white, the two Caucasian <laughs> characters. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. So do we want to dive into this episode? I feel like, like we said, a, a lot of our first attempt was a lot of tire spinning. Um, so I, I mean, I, I, I don't know. It was, it, we, uh, we spent a lot of time on Austin's song rankings for the episode. <laughs> there are five songs in this episode and Austin broke down his thoughts on each um, and so that's something you can wait around for at the end if you'd like. Don't make it sound so appealing. Oh, I I, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, it and I think fun. that any anyone listening to this would enjoy it too. Uh, and I think it's a fun Easter egg for after the show. Well, Derek, I saw you were getting peppered with anonymous questions. And I'm only wondering, mm. I feel like the song rankings are going to be very controversial. So I apologize for your inboxes already. I'm ready for someone else to take the heat because apparently I'm just like a lightning rod for this week. <laughs> but uh, we can take that for later, I guess. I don't know if we have a designated mailbox time, but it's usually towards the end, I would say. Yeah, it's usually like right at the end of the pre-spoilers. Right. Uh, so we'll get there eventually. But for now, um, let's, I guess, focus on um, our little hip gang of hippies that we encounter in this episode. Yeah, um, I really like these side characters. I guess I, I mean, 
it, I once again, these are um, great characters who I wish that we saw it uh, again in the show. I realized halfway through that sentence, I was spoiling they never come back, <laughs> but I do feel that way. And I, I wish that we, I wish we got another Cave of Two Lovers episode, or maybe if they were like, actually, I'm not going to spoil uh, another I episode that comes up, but I, I just feel like there's another part where we could have like linked back up with these fun characters, but uh, it's okay that we never do. I feel like it, it, they sort of make it clear at the end of the episode when they're like, hey, you want to come to a mosh? <laughs> and they're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I love that moment. Yeah, just it's it's just so such good. a clean cut, simple way to just like have them never be in the show again. <laughs> He's like, okay. Funny. Yeah, that's cute. Um, what's his, what did we, what's his name? Moku? Was that it? Mm -hmm. Love that guy. What a cutie! Pink yeah, the, I think the establishment we got in the uh, in the thirty minutes of us spinning wheels was we have Chong, Moku, and then Lily. Lily, right? Yeah, yeah. I, Lily's name I did not remember, but um, and we established that they that Chong and Lily are married, and so not queer icons, but could be queer icons. It was yeah, not you. Was you are the only one saying they're not queer icons. Yeah. We yeah. don't put those words in our mouth. We established that easily that it, their the relationships could be so different between all the other people. We just know that Chong and Lily are married. We don't know anything else about their relationship with the other members of their little well, game. Do you think their relationship isn't very good because they weren't able to make a kiss happen to get out of the tunnel? So is there true love there? The only thing that was keeping them from burning out their torches in the first two hours of their cave journey was Sokka making sure they stayed lit. So Sokka was the one holding their love back from, you know, helping them. Yeah, I would say they trusted and loved the most of any of the characters. They were fully on board of like, yep, we're just getting through this cave no matter what. They seemed pretty chill the whole time. So I'd yeah. say their relationship is pretty secure from what I can tell. Yeah. It just doesn't... Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting relationship. And maybe their sort of free spiritedness is something we can all learn from. Maybe. <laughs> It'll take a lot for me to get on their level, but I think uh, we were pretty close to there on Thursday night. I don't know. We were, we, we were whippy dippy on Thursday night. I don't really know what was affecting all three of us or how in three different states we were all hit with the same vibe, but it happened. I think it was whatever also hit Google Meets. <laughs> just everything was was whacked up that episode. We're just so keyed into the internet that any major <laughs> failing affects our mood. It's true. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, but I feel like something we did not even touch on in our first, uh, like, recording was that Zuko and Iroh are in this episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I would say they, I liked their story a lot. I feel like, to me... Um, this little like subplot of theirs like never really like was something i thought about it was just like a random one-off thing but uh, something i realized on this rewatch specifically was like this is really the first time zuko ever has had to like be confronted by the humanity of someone it, like outside of the fire nation and like specifically in the earth kingdom um like when you think about it, he's like never really talked to an earth kingdom person before this like in this way He's always like demanding something of them or this like just very quick things, but he's like actually listening to someone talk about how his dad and his entire country are affecting them. I, yeah, I, it's interesting. This is like the first scene we ever see him interact with someone really like, or like mm -hmm. meet someone for the first time 
in on like on an even level like every other scene we've seen from him is like him attacking ang or him talking to uncle iroh or him and azula fighting each other and those are like all of the like energy or with Zhao in season one and like those are all of the character interactions we've ever seen from him basically and so now it's like it was interesting to see him like have just like a peaceful engagement with other people Mm-hmm. I think I just something about Avatar: The Last Airbender in general that I found myself really liking on the rewatch as like an older adult is that I feel like I like that they, especially for a kids show, they don't try to shoehorn like a perfect through line between the two plots of the episode. Like the A and the B plot don't have to have like the exact same one note. Like here's the moral of the story, and maybe you could find some through lines in the storylines here, but like. This was such a standalone plot that developed Zuko and Iroh in a, or especially Zuko in a really profound way. Um, but it didn't need to be exactly, you know, even with the A plot and it didn't need to tie in exactly with what was going on with the, with the gang. And so I just love that Avatar felt that flexible to like, not try to just ram in something so obvious and really just allow the characters to develop, you know, on their own parallel paths, even if they're experiencing different things. Definitely. I like it could have, they could have, it could have been somewhere like, Zuko also had to trust in love to blah, blah, blah. But it wasn't. It was just like, this is where they're at in their, like, ongoing hardships. And this is what they're dealing with today. Uh, and I agree with Derek. Like, this is a plot line that I, like, had I, I had never thought about since watching this episode the last time, probably. Even though, like, when it started going, I was like, oh, yeah. Like, I forgot about this. And, like, I remember it now. But it's just something that I didn't remember and I but like it's it's great like it's it's just like little scenes to break up the cave stuff and so like I love like Iroh discovering the flower and he doesn't know what it is he's <laughs> like should I, maybe I'll make tea with it but it might be poisonous and then it is poisonous and they need all and the, the music editing during this as he's like it's a great flower or a deadly poison <laughs> he does this multiple times yeah, yeah I don't have either of you seen the movie hereditary no no. no. Okay. Well, there's an allergic reaction in that movie that becomes very dramatic. So I was very terrified for Iroh for whatever. Re- I was getting terrible flashbacks to that movie. Well, he would have um, died. <laughs> right. Um. I don't want to spoil what happens in Hereditary, but it's a little more <laughs> gruesome than that. I'll say. I did um, write down. What if Iroh had just died this episode? Like <laughs> he like went totally blind, or he had the allergic reaction, and just like that's it. There he goes. If the B plot of this episode was Iroh's throat closing up and like him dying while Egg and Katara might have kissed <laughs> in the yeah. main plot line. Yeah, you have your like yeah cute little uh, romance plot, and then deadly asphyxiation in the other. I think it could have been good. Did you sure. notice the one thing that was a through line between the two storylines? They named the the girl, like the main girl during this scene, Song. Mm. I had never even thought about it that way. So where does she rank in your song ranking? <laughs> um, I would say Song would be, uh, I don't want to spoil the ranking, but what are at like number four or something? Oh, whatever whatever the last song. I mean, she was good, but this, the other songs are iconic. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and I like the character of Song as like an idea, but there's not a whole lot of there there, as people say. Like she's a helpful figure, like what Derek was saying, where Zuko's like meeting an Earth Kingdom person, but she's sort of just like a means to an end as far as this plot line goes. So, and the song's <laughs> stick in your head, and as I just said, 
song did not stick in my head. No. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's like interesting because I could see, you could see like, oh, maybe they would bring back Haru or like some other character we know about. Um, like something I even thought about um, during that like plot line was like, oh, this is reminding me of the fact that like in Warriors of Kyoshi literally like burns down the town there. And it's like, this is almost like an, like his consequences in a way for that, even though it's a completely different place. He's still like seeing like the quote unquote, like uh, ramifications of his actions. Um, so I don't know. There's definitely ways they could like bring back characters, but I feel like that's just like, you're bringing a lot of baggage to that. Whereas songs role, like we said, really is just to represent the idea of this like random earth kingdom person who's been affected by the fire nation. Yeah. And I think it works better that it is just a random person instead of like Haru, like you said, or I don't know, like, like someone from Kiyoshi or something like, I think it's good mm -hmm. that it's just like a random. Yeah. It's not like figure. a, yeah. It's not like a Batman versus Superman situation where they like mm -hmm. really go hard into the idea of like, look, there are consequences for your wanton destruction because people told us it looked stupid in the first one, so we have to respond to it. Um, but yeah, this feels much more natural. But my only complaint is Ira, once again, just refuses to flirt with women his own age. It's weird. <laughs> like, uh, first he, like, wholly rejects Aunt Wu, and now this woman who's, like, feeding him, and she seems lovely. I don't get why he only seems to flirt with younger women. I feel like he's, like, he, this episode, you know, and, and I can really relate to this, Sometimes you just the food is more important than the romance. Like you just, it's like it's it's Maslow's hierarchy. You know, like you have to satisfy that base need. You're so hungry, some great duck. You know, like you just you just need that sometimes over to even even start thinking about the idea of like. Do you guys have the thing where if you this is so random, but like I will not get hungry until I am like satisfied, like my thirst quench, not thirst like thirsting for Aunt Wu. But, like, mm. you have to satisfy that need, then you can move to the next. Like, I feel like it's the same way he has to satisfy the hunger before he can think about the relationships. Interesting. I don't know. <laughs> I I kind yeah. of understand. Yeah, like, I I get where you're coming from. I <laughs> I feel like I'm, I'm never all that thirsty because I am drinking water at every moment of the day. Mm -hmm. um, so I when I get hungry, it's just the hunger, no thirst. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that... It was. I think it was important for him to not have a relationship with someone who saved his life because he was worried that the power imbalance would always be off and it would lead to complications further down the road in their relationship. So true. Plus, they did steal an, uh, an ostrich torch from them, which just further complicates things. Yeah, yeah. That is <laughs> one moment I, I actually do remember from this plot. Like going back, it just it's you're seeing some moments of humanity in Zuko, and then you still get reminded like. It's not that it's an inhumane thing, but the, the mix of desperation and that he still does have this kind of forward propulsion of his tasks. Um, it's yeah. it's kind of hurts to see at the end of the episode. Definitely. Yeah, it's, a, it's like an interesting, almost like not children's show sort of ending for that. Like, because like in another show, the less Zuko learned his lesson, he has empathy now and that's it. But now, like, he ends the, like, entire episode by stealing from this person who was just so nice to him. It's like, that's an interesting challenge for a young viewer who's so used to things just being tied up in a nice little ribbon at the end of an episode of television. Yeah, but he's actually still a bad boy, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what you're supposed to get out of it. Yeah. yeah. 
the heart throb. They, they love the the ending. Mm-hmm. It's true. Uh, yeah. So I guess I feel like that kind of wraps up that whole. Like we said, that uh, storyline is like pretty short. Um, so I guess do we want to like journey? To the, can we give a shout yeah. out to the one quote of your father? Is he fighting in the war? <laughs> <laughs> Kinda. Like, it, he seems to do a lot of sitting. <laughs> it's yeah or yelling or be glowering I i've know. never seen him out of that room mm-hmm. <laughs> uh we have seen him bl- breathing fire um as a silhouette before but that's about it i don't know if we've that also seen him maim zuko's face uh, in an audience so there's one example i can think of him being outside the room but even then i wouldn't count that fighting in the war true <laughs> good in the palace you got the fireplace always going i mean why would you ever feel the need to kind of step out of that true Can't he doesn't <laughs> only to 74 thousand mm-hmm. mm-hmm. 74 thousand <laughs> i don't know enough about fire to <laughs> refute if that's how hot a fire would be <laughs> i think that sounds accurate to me <laughs> Uh, speaking of hot things, though, should we go back to the steamy cave of two lovers? For sure. I mean, there's a lot of like a lot of this episode, a lot of this plot line of the episode is like jokey, just comedy moments of like mm-hmm. they get split up and then it's like Sokka dealing with the troop and like, ugh, I don't know, it's like wacky stuff. And then hanging, then I feel like a lot of, then like the major takeaway for most of the fandom is that this is like a big Katang episode. And we get mm-hmm. the story of how Omashu was created and the tale of two lovers in their cave. And it's like, did they kiss? I don't know. Right. Where, where well, do we fall on that? I had that question. Like the answer is yes, right? If they kissed, I feel like because why would they have stopped? Like their eyes were closed. They wouldn't have noticed the crystals and like f- immediately stopped and be like, no way. Uh, I feel like they def- there was like a peck, I'm sure. No tongue though? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> I don't think the 12 year old and the 14 year old use tongue, Austin. I wasn't thinking about that. I'm just asking about logistics. You said just. <laughs> I think logically, to me, they. I'm sure. Just a little, just a little kiss. And that was it. Yeah, um, I think that they probably kissed, and but then it's it's then at the because they're so awkward afterward. But I guess they would be awkward whether or not they kissed. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess it ultimately it doesn't super matter. Uh, it, at least you know. us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Austin, how do you feel about Katang? I feel like we talked about it in our previous attempt, but I forget. I don't think we. I don't think I weighed in. I've actually, I feel like I'm more open to it than most people are. Um, mm. I, I, I'm trying to pinpoint why that is. I just remember like watching as a kid, it, it, it made sense to me. And maybe at that time I just was more acclimated to like the idea that the protagonist male and like the most prominent woman had like get together. Like that's just what you see in a lot of shows. And I don't like that as a trope, but I guess I just feel like, um whatever katara wants is good for me like if she if the person she chooses like zuko hurt her uh, the like by chasing them in the first season like you know like i can understand like why i just like wasn't rooting for it at that point 
Um, and I feel like for for Katang, like if that's if that's what she sees, if she's into it, then like go go for it, Katara. I'm not gonna stop her. I fully support it. To it's just weird to me that this episode is a Katang episode, but it's called the Cave of Two Lovers, and the story of the two lovers is a lot more in line with a different ship, uh, <laughs> in like two warring nations coming together making a new city whatever um so like it's just like i'm it's nice that it's like a romantic episode and that like this is good ship fire but for me like thematically and like it's about like the the, the tale of two lovers is like about sutara <laughs> am i crazy i don't think so sounds right to me oh omata or uh, omara and uh shuko <laughs> I think yeah I think that was their name <laughs> I think that's uh, right yeah and uh well speaking of Oman Shu um I just want to say the um art style for that flashback is stunning so gorgeous yeah. and just like speaks to why this I feel like this story belongs in animation like you can't do that I mean you can kind of do similar things stylistically with like live action stuff but it's like it's not the same it's like animation can has the ability to do that um, mm-hmm. and not make it feel out of place. So, yeah, love it. The way, like, the calligraphy overlaid with the kind of colors of it. And I know it's not, I don't want to, like, make two very different animation styles seem the same, but it reminded me of when Harry Potter, the seventh movie, did the Tales of Beetle the Bard with, like, a very mm-hmm. distinct style that was kind of different from what we were seeing there. And I just, I loved that, like, artistic choice to really bring these things to life in sort of a, through with narration kind of overlying it to really just depict it and, and show not tell for sure yeah and it's like yeah I mean, they they've, done, the, they've done this sort of thing in season one too where like whenever people tell us like when it whenever it's a flashback but it's a flashback that like someone is telling a story about it's like in a different animation style which is what they do in the great divide episode mm-hmm. yeah i hadn't even thought about that but yeah it's like a common theme is they change it up stylistically, which is awesome. Uh, oh, that. Yeah, good job, guys. I don't know if they've been told this before, but they did a good job. You guys did really good on this show. People seem yeah. to like it. I liked it. Um, I, I We also got to learn a bit of lore about earthbending, and it comes from the badger moles, which it, it comes... I mean, we learned this very quickly after learning about the push and pull the moon and the ocean and waterbenders watching that uh and then learning how to waterbend from there um so this was an interesting another piece of the like origin of bending history in the world for sure and how do we feel about badgermoles just as a creature the big bad badgermoles <laughs> i think they're adorable yeah they're fine oh <laughs> that's very pointed i'm not against them i just think that like the moon is like a like such a majestic way to learn a bending art form and then like not to spoil anything but the other two are also like very important things and then <laughs> to have earth be the badger moles it just doesn't it doesn't read for me, but like that's just my that's always been my take. But I guess Earth isn't like I wouldn't like majestic wouldn't be the word that you describe Earth bending. It's sort of that power and like raw like grounded energy. Um, yeah, very and, naturalistic. 
Yeah, I guess I just wanted it to wanted them to be like more important or like more plots in the plot. Uh, but you know, the badger moles works. It makes sense. They're like in the ground. Yeah. <laughs> um, to our favorite white characters, they don't they don't hold a candle. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> But Abba and Momo just have so much life, and I feel like we don't we don't get that depth from the Badger Moles besides that they like music. I can relate to that. I can relate to the Badger Moles. I love music. Living um, underground, earthbending, liking music. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, okay. So, what are our thoughts on Wolf Bats, the other big creature we get in this episode? Not fans. No. Bats. I think no. they're they're a good scary thing. Like it's like. Yeah, bats are in a cave. What else would be in a cave that could be scary? Wolves? Sure, why not? I, you know, I get it from that perspective and it makes sense, but I, they're just not my, of the animals in the Avatar universe, I don't think that they would be in an S or A or B tier for me. Has anyone, has anyone besides vampires ever been a fan of bats? Um, I don't know. I love the videos of like baby bats that are like drinking out of bottles. Those are cute. I feel like baseball players are big on them. Mm-hmm. That's true. <laughs> um, I, you know, I'm an easy fan on any pun, and even that one was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know, it's hard to. Th- I feel like vampires have the bat thing on lock. It's like who else is in the bat game at all besides baseball players, of course. Of course. I, I literally can't... play a backgammon. <laughs> um, I used to think that backgammon was batgammon. So for what it's worth, I thought that was bats. Okay. Austin, <laughs> sounds like Austin is coming in second after vampires as for, being fan of bats. Then. I did say in the initial attempt at this that I was the number one fan of turning random moments into songs. So I guess I could be the number two fan of bats. <laughs> Behind all of vampires. Yeah. <laughs> You're really... Right, racking up the titles on this episode of Vinegar's yeah, podcast. For sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so the, I guess those are our creature rankings. Um, <sighs> any other thoughts on the episode um, before I guess we get into spoiler territory? I, um, well, I, I definitely had some thoughts on the Badger Moles in the spoiler sections, which which seems odd based on this, but no, I feel like there's actually some stuff that, like, this episode, even though it kind of feels very standalone, even though the ending is a cliffhanger, um, which is, feels very unique. I can't think of a non-finale episode that ends with a very direct lead and in into the next episode. Well, I could, well, that's kind of a two-parter. Anyway, not to get too spoiler. But, um, yeah, I... so that's interesting. I, I feel like, yeah, as far as this episode goes in the storyline, like, there wasn't a lot of character progression. It was a lot of just, it was kind of just like a check-in with where all of the characters are at and sort of redefining their dynamics in the group. Like, Katara and Aang, we sort of figured out how they feel about each other. There was, like, even some infighting when they were alone in the cave. Aang being like, I'd rather kiss you than die. That's a compliment. Yeah, that was <laughs> hilarious. Um, and just like it was, it is just like a standalone episode that could be like, I mean, I mean, the Zuko plot is like very hard to engage with as far as like a town of the week or like challenge of the week episode of this shows goes. Um, but I think that for everyone else, it's like comedic and 
just like getting the audience reacclimated with the characters for season two. And they do that with Zuko and Iroh too, but it's just like in such a different way that like, it's just strange, like we were talking about before to have them in the same episode, like at all. For sure. Yeah, yeah I think I, that just, well, what were you gonna say, Austin? Go ahead, Derek. Well, I, uh, I was just gonna say, yeah, um, to kind of go back to that, it just speaks to the fact that Zuko is now definitely being presented as his own character with his own things going on. Um, and they, like we said, they don't have to be related to the main plot. Although I'm sure like, if you really, really wanted to, you could go for like a general idea of like, this is just part of Zuko's journey too. And he's still on a journey, but that's like so broad that it hardly counts. (laughs) It it seemed to me like, and thinking back to all of the, I feel like even with the the first episode of, um, or the second episode of the first season, like the show does a lot of exposition and establishment in that first episode and definitely in the avatar state they did too. So like, they want to kind of like give people like a rest for a second to like, here's just like fun moments or whatever. I did have some random thoughts on a couple of different moments. Um, if that's okay. Absolutely. The one, um, when I was watching <laughs> the, um, as they finished the Omashu storyline, um, they're standing next to like the two giant statues of, the uh, of Oma and Shu, and I just could not stop thinking of Boston Robin Sandra's like, <laughs> <laughs> and not only that, but then Aang is like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's these giant statues of them kissing. So like, hey, that'd be funny if it was Boston Robin Sandra. But Aang also says, "Huh, how are we going to find our way out of these tunnels?" As he's standing next to these giant statues kissing, and then Katara goes. I have a crazy idea. And I'm like, <laughs> how crazy is it when you are standing next to the thing that is exactly telling you what to do? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but it really wasn't. The kissing wasn't what activates the crystals. It's just turning off the light. Oh, I totally thought it was a kissing. I read that differently this whole time. Really? <laughs> <laughs> how could a crystals on a wall know if you're kissing? I mean... <laughs> Are we just like acting like everything in this is there's no spiritual or magical element to any of this? I mean, is it I don't, sure? Okay, I'm not gonna. How can they possibly one. know? I'll let you have that one. The 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 crystals know when you're kissing. <laughs> the they have to the, the, they can feel sense the love. Can you feel the love tonight? Just mm. go into other songs. Um, Austin, you're telling me that for the past 15 years you thought that. <laughs> like they kissed and that's why the crystals turned on i thought it was a mix of going into the dark and like I, the, the reason i didn't know for sure that they kissed but like the idea that they like let each other like go into that trust and love part of it like i don't know activated the yeah. crystals it's like a um jo crystal you have to charge it up um. <laughs> oh <my> god okay <laughs> um yeah. <laughs> um, another random thought I had. Yeah. Um, as as uh, Sam mentioned, the Ang like, uh, if it was a choice to kiss you or die, like that's a compliment. Does, did you notice that he had like a Brooklyn accent during this? I'm trying to remember. No. <laughs> he was like, oh, I'm, I, I can't do a Brooklyn accent. I'm not even going to try. But it's, it's like a weird accent that Ang's got going on there. That was very random. Um, the last thing is, I just love that the cliffhanger at the end of the episode is like literally a replica of a girl worth fighting in Mulan. As they oh, see really? every single time I've watched that, I've I've always had that like exact moment of it. 
especially like a, a, an episode with music they're singing and then they like all upbeat and they just see this total destruction and i i find that a, a really I, i'm always a big fan of like huge tonal shifts that are warranted and um it really does kind of i think propulse right into the rest of the season when they when they set this up here mm -hmm. i sure. also like it as like because we i'm just to reference the at the end of the episode where they're like are, are you guys gonna go to omashu too and they're just like nope and then they leave it's like they that final scene is like those two just like cuts where they're just like we're not going anymore and then they're going up the mountain and then we get a total tone trip again mm -hmm. yeah it's great i yeah i hadn't even thought about it but this is kind of a musical episode um like i said there's a significant amount of songs uh, and they let us know how the characters are feeling in, in any given moment so i think it counts as a musical True, and Katara sort of does a, a spoken word piece about the cave of two uh, in the cave of two lovers. That's true. Oh. <laughs> uh, so, are those your concluding thoughts, Austin? Those are what I had. Yes. Okay. Um, so, do we want to go into the mailbox now, or do we want to plug? First? Sure. Oh yeah, Austin. Well, yeah. Well, let's do the mailbox, and then we'll do social media stuff. Okay. Um, uh, okay. This person says their name is Hello. <laughs> okay. They want to know, they want us to rank the nomads by how much each one is a gay icon. Oh. Um, I feel like, to me, a rate that's between Moku and Lily is the number one spot. I agree with that. I feel like it's Moku is edging her out for me because he wants to go see the rainbow. But that's, that's so it. true. But I do love that um lily i feel like a very queer moment is uh lily lighting all five torches at the same time mm. in hopes <laughs> to have it last for 10 hours for sure and she's very the one braiding moment. yeah she's braiding katara's hair so i think lily might be the number one and then emoku number two um everyone austin, knows the gays don't do math it's true austin how do you feel about um the statuses of queer icons well i've certainly let my feelings on chong and lily be known known so uh <laughs> moku is the, is the clear number one favorite um mm. i'm gonna go with i'm gonna go with chong number two honestly because i just feel like he's just such a free spirit he's he's always you know he's just he's just down for anything plus as we <laughs> referenced in um yes the old episode or like the other audio uh he loves Sokka's underwear and he's looking for a recommendation on how to get new the good new underwear i think that that's a i can relate to that yeah it's very um as a kid when you're going through the underwear aisle and you see the man in the underwear as a gay kid that's a very um notable moment in your life yeah when you go through the underwear river and you stop and you look at the underwear <laughs> That you find that and you're like oh <laughs> i was at a uh like a, a gay like beach clothing store um in uh rehoboth maryland which is a like known like pretty popular lgbt especially a gay beach um mm -hmm. and uh, there was just like the man who worked there who was like very interested in us trying on all of the skimpy swimsuits <laughs> so <laughs> you yeah, the man. it's like the huge or the or the people in the underwear modeling I was that guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, another mailbox submission we have is from username what, W-U-T, who mm -hmm. says, 
not Derek praising the new Sufjan album when it sounds like absolute shit. Dot dot dot. I don't even remember this coming up. I okay. I this was anything. Clearly, this is someone who follows me on Twitter because I Sufjan Stevens. Um, for those who aren't familiar, is an artist. Mostly does like a sort of folk music, but does dabble in like experimental electronic stuff sometimes. Um, Twink pop. What? Would you? Is he under the realm sometimes of twink pop? It's a genre. Twink pop. I don't know if I would call him twink pop. I didn't. I wouldn't. Okay. Yeah. Um, although his like most recent album, The Ascension, now available wherever you can stream or buy music, um, <laughs> it's like supposed to be conceptually kind of his version of what a pop album would be. Um, I thought it was just fine. Is it my favorite Sufjan album? No, it isn't. But um, <laughs> there are lots of great songs on it. Like the title track is so good. It's lovely. I liked all the singles. Uh, video game is just a great, like it's a, kind of a pop song, really. Um, yeah, so person named what? Um, I don't know what your problem is, but you just need to know. <laughs> need to let the light in. I don't know. Do like Sifjan, let the Lord in. No shade in the shadow of the cross. I'm glad I, we were able to give you that time to um, unpack your criticism. Uh, I haven't the, heard the album, but the Sufjan songs I have heard, I have enjoyed. <laughs> right. It's a solid, I gave it four out of five stars on my music board app thing. So Ooh, it's a good The duties are, are going to come for you. They already have, and I think that this will only invite more critique. Let them. Great. <laughs> did uh, did even get you down, Sokka? Did that make it onto the <laughs> album, or was that? And it might be a Japan-only bonus track deal. Um. Finally, from our listener named Erica, she says, "Sam says anything." Derek. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Like, oh, like I. Like I said, when you sent that to me, it's very, I fully admit, I'm literally the TikTok lady who's an active listener, just nodding along, going, yes, of course. Did you see the question? I don't think you've done the mm-hmm this episode. Did I not? I, I like, guess don't really, I can't, like, imagine it. Maybe I just, like, block it out because I'm speaking, but I don't, I can't <laughs> think of what you're, I can't think of what that even sounds like. Right. I totally can. So it's definitely because you're speaking, because I know exactly what they're talking about. Interesting. I guess it just means I'm a great listener who's always engaged in what Sam is saying. Mm -hmm. I will try to be a better active or like passive listener while I'm an active speaker. And I'll try to not just constantly say mm hmm to everything you say, because sometimes you need to be challenged on things, Sam. I Sam, agree. I listener on Thursday, I just, your facial reactions, they were just telling me all kinds of things. Oh, me? No, Sam. Oh. <laughs> I... No, yeah, I'm actually I'm actually a very um, expressive person, expressive listener. I mm. I was called out many times in college by the professors when other students were speaking, just because of my facial reactions to what people <laughs> were saying in our discussion groups. And they were like, "Sam, did you have something you wanted to say about that?" And I was like, "Oh my god!" Uh, is Jeff Probst? Yeah, pretty much. Not raising my hand, just like like rolling my eyes or like get, like just like being so aghast at what someone said in like a social politics class that like <laughs> I I was being I I was called upon to speak out despite wanting to stay silent and honestly I think the discussion was better for it agree
<laughs> yeah, pretty reaction there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so damn, I, I clearly have a lot to work on in my life if I'm just brazenly praising Sufjan albums and uh, just constantly affirming everything Sam says. <laughs> Derek, are those, if those are the biggest issues you have, you're in a great spot. Oh, thank you. Or should I say, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, excellent yeah. well let's thank start you. moving in oh no yeah thank you for well, sending yeah. our stuff in uh thank this you. was great uh we love our mailbox and we love all of our fans uh austin before we start talking about spoilers will you tell people where they can hit you up outside of this podcast uh yes you can follow me on twitter at ostentatious a-u-s-t-i-n-t-a-c-i-o-u-s-s because the first ostentatious took the one with one S and then just never used the account. So devastating. Um, Instagram, uh, a Trump. Um, I'm not really like putting out a lot of content these days. Lita and I, and occasionally Sam and Derek were doing survivor Maryland recaps have not in a little bit, but maybe restarting at some point. I don't know. It's up to Lita. We were almost done with guts and glory. We almost made it. Um, you can follow Survivor Maryland. If you don't know what that is, uh, it's a uh, college Survivor show that I used to run that now they're releasing their seventh season. Um, so if you're looking for, obviously, you have Avatar The Last Airbender to keep you entertained during the this eternal Survivor offseason, as the better jurors have done. Um, but you also can um, watch some college Survivor. It's a fan-made Survivor if you're interested. So um, it's a lot of fun. And uh, But yeah, just, just chilling otherwise. I would highly recommend uh, Survivor Maryland to our listeners if they are still here from our Survivor days. Um, and so I would, I, I think it's a great show. So I think if you haven't given it a chance, I think it's a great time to check it out. Same. Uh, yeah. And you can follow me at Sam Sanish on Instagram and Twitter. I also have another podcast called Word on the Straits that you can follow on Instagram and Twitter at Word on the Straits, S-T-R-8-S, where we talk about straight culture. Yep. And I'm at Rain Dierks on Twitter, and you can follow us at Jurors Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Perf. Uh, let's start talking spoilies. Mm. Yeah, uh, well, we already brought up Badger Moles. Uh, so, Austin, what were your specific thoughts? Because I have some notes on that, too, but what were you thinking of? Well, I just loved it. This is the first time I've noticed this, but the way they show the Badger Moles, like, stepping and planting and positioning themselves as a earthbend is so similar to the way they first show the way that Toph earthbends, like without the mm-hmm. sort of like ripples that come out mm-hmm. of it. I just like the motions of it. I was like, Oh my God, I feel like I'm watching the like original form of Toph. And I just found that really cool. Mm-hmm. Totally. I very much. And I love that like Toph learned earthbending from the, like creators of earthbending and like this connection to how she learned it is something I actually, I really appreciate, obviously, even though I don't love badger bowls as like an animal, um, like, or like as like the originator, but it's very, very cool that like she did learn it from the like grand masters of the form uh, as like this character we're going to meet in like a couple episodes. For sure. Yeah. Which is another kind of cool connection, I guess, to like Zuko or Aang too, I guess, in that they also get to learn from the original Firebenders too. Yeah, I just um, love that it was like not, it's like very not anthropo, anthropocentric. Is that the word? I think sure. anthropocentric is like human focused, like really right. giving 
like it's very like gouty of like pulling from nature for all of these these different things and the elements are so based in that anyway and i just like the way they interact with the ground and even the moment where Sokka plays in the music is like you know straight out of uh fluffy from another harry potter tie straight out of fluffy <laughs> uh, playing music three-headed dog but i it kind of adds like a different level of meaning when you realize like they love sound they that's like such a big thing for them and you also get tough like obviously sound and feels is such a huge part of her and overcoming the kind of blindness element of it so i, I love that as like a little bit of another moment too of like how they're so harmonious with uh between the badger moles and tough as these elite earthbenders for sure yeah and it's like we don't even learn that until like book three um for tough so it's cool that that's sort of like the groundwork is there so yeah you can definitely notice it if you're looking for it um we, I mean, we all, since we're on Badrimals and music, like, that also is, like, called back to in book four of Legend of Korra when Prince Wu, like, commands Badrimals with singing. Uh, sure. Which is, like, so, I mean, I, I like it as a callback. It's just, like, a very unexpected one. And I didn't really remember this part of it until rewatching the episode. For sure. Love Wu. Speaking of amazing uh, side characters. But fortunately, we get more Wu than we do of uh, the Nomads. Um, but another thing I was thinking of, which is, I guess, a little more focused on the lore of things, is the idea of, like, um, since uh, in Korra we learned that bending, the origin of bending, is be gifted from the lion turtles to people. Um, so I think, I feel like a lot of people are kind of confused on, like, so does earthbending come from badger moles or does it come from lion turtles? And like similar for the other bending arts, like does it come from the dragons or does it come from lion turtles? What is it? Um, so yeah. Do you, my take on that <laughs> has always been that the lion turtle stuff happened so long ago that like the history has been like lost and muddled throughout the centuries following. But it's all like, so like it's not technically true that people like received earthbending and stuff from these from the moon or the or dragons or badrimals or no or the bison but i think that there is truth in that the people received the ability to bend from the lion turtles and then looked to these natural things as the masters of that element and learned more techniques or like mm -hmm. better understanding of the element from observing the, those like these four things yeah that's what i was thinking too it's like the lion turtles gave the like bending act like the ability to do it and then they learned the art of earth bending from badger moles by watching their movements and stuff so yeah because um, i know that like dragons can like fire is a part of what a dragon is it's not like it's bending it just is them so like not everybody could watch dragons or watch a badger mole or study a badger mole and learn bending but those creatures can bend and then the people gain that some people gain that ability to harness those powers i guess yeah and i think that we i think that this is something that is like fits in line with the what i don't even remember what it's called but like the like the tribe of the sun episodes or whatever they're called like when we meet the dragons and we learn about fire being about emotion and life as opposed to like anger. And like, that is like something that could get lost if you're like humans teaching other humans about like this power that you don't under, like none of you understand. But since dragons like have a complete understanding and like have lived with the element for so long that they like understand where the power of it is from and where it comes from 
as instead of like these people who are like trying to figure it out in that i mean obviously the the fire nation has like more than any other nation lost the like through line from like the teachers like their natural teachers to where they're at now um and so i think that yeah i think I agree. I'm glad we're talking about the lion turtle stuff because that's something that's something I was thinking about when I was rewatching Legend of Korra too. But I think it's what we've been talking about that like they looked to these natural things as like fully understanding and encompassing what these elements are. Like the badger most live in the earth and only see through the earth, and like that just like has a, changes their perspective entirely on the element where like a human earthbender would have like a completely different perspective on it and not fully understand what the earth is. For sure. Um, yeah, it's, we kind of talked about this like a long time ago in some other episode, but um, like the, the relationship that each nation has to its like creator of their bending art is like very indicative of how they like their spirituality. Like, like we said, the airbenders, literally every airbender gets an air bison um and they're like i'm pretty sure it's like canon that like every air nomad or at least like 99.9 percent of air nomads are airbenders um before the genocide because they're just so spiritually connected um and then waterbenders i would say are kind of next um in the sense that they like revere the moon and the ocean and they like praise them all the time and they literally at least in the north they physically live near those spirits um, we, i mean we also get um, more even more connections between water the water tribe and spirits in legend of Korra. like they use water bending to block bending all first of all and then also control spirits and then also in legend of Korra, spirit portals appear in the north and south pole mm-hmm. for sure yeah and then it's like earth is like very because they're like these creatures but they just like live out in the wild and you, we don't really see like domesticated badgermals or anything um i mean we do in and i'm remembering in uh the blind bandit there is they do use like a um one as like a zambini (laughs) to clear the um ring of earth uh so i guess there was like so like earth is like a little less connected but they're still like just part of the environment um and well it's all it's also harder for them to have a centralized form of spirituality their nation is so huge Mm-hmm. Um, and like, even though the air nomads are split up into four different groups where they were pre-genocide, obvi, uh, they like are still very interconnected as a people. And we, we've heard of like many examples of all of them, like moving around and going between each of the temples. And obviously the water tribes are so small and in such like individualized places that like it's much easier to like have a collective spiritual understanding compared to the earth kingdom where there's like, we, I don't even think we see like one or two earth temples in like random flashes, especially like when Aang goes into the avatar state at the, at the Southern air temple for the first time. But like, we really don't have a strong understanding of the earth kingdom's spiritual ideas as far as I can remember, because we never like, there's no, there's no, like overlying body even though there's like an earth king in like a couple cities but like people are very spread out it's like it's also like spirituality is so it's so intertwined with like height and ascension and like 
earth earth is so grounded and and rooted and like the stubbornness of it it like almost all like doesn't comport with like what that kind of like heavenly or aspirational spirituality is and i feel like it almost makes sense that like they are so rooted in kind of the now and the present and the physical that um it would make sense for them not to be as kind of idealistic and spiritual in in that sort of of sense i agree i think we should i think we'll be it'll be very I think we'll revisit this topic a lot throughout this season because we meet so many Earth Kingdom people and maybe I'll be reminded of stuff I don't remember. But like, it's interesting to have this conversation like at, like in the in an episode that's like so far at the beginning of the season when like I know Guru Patik is like waiting for me at the end of this season. <laughs> and like, he's an Earth Kingdom guy who like is like the most spiritually connected person like alive uh, other than Aang, I guess. But like, so I mean I I don't remember much of what goes on in that part. Like I remember the big stuff, but like I think I'll have more thoughts on Earth Kingdom spirituality throughout the season. I don't remember. Sure. Uh, I know just from the dream. Chakra, chakra, chakra. chakra. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, yeah, and then obviously Fire Nation literally killing their um, spiritual, like their Bitney teachers. Um, so yeah, it's just a cool like gradient that we get to see. Um, tells us a lot about the world and the characters and yeah it's great good world building i had a very random piece of foreshadowing that that hurt my soul but um Mm -hmm. you pick up on the moment where they're lighting the torches and like one's waved in front of appa and well (laughs) we didn't talk about also i love that they (laughs) they have the very quick scene as they're like we're not going to go through the tunnel or through the cave and they're like flying over the earth kingdom shooting at them and (laughs) <laughs> they just like flash to that for five seconds they're like ah and then that's it and they're like okay game time i love right. that it was game of thrones the budget wasn't there uh we had to cut the fighting scene out because like every episode <laughs> that would make but i was gonna say like as they're waving the fire in front of appa it just reminded me so vividly of the circus stuff and oh appa so yeah oh. he this really is- like has a tough time this episode like he has to go underground and then he's literally getting fire thrown at him yeah um Sad. This is a great opera season as well, uh, so I'm excited for that. You reference Game of Thrones, but it's more in line with what I remember. Like, Lord, it's very a Lord of the Rings because they attempt to go over the misty mountains, I think, and then it's like they have a cave that, like, if they can't get over it or something, and so they decide to try to go through the mines of Moria instead. Uh, and so I, I mean, I don't, I think that it was probably like semi-referential to that, uh, just as I'm talking through it. Um, I missing the nomads. Hmm? Could you use the nomads in Lord of the Rings? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of singing in Lord of the Rings, actually, but there's probably more than five songs. <laughs> it's probably true. <laughs> um, I've seen those movies millions of times. Can't tell you anything about them. <laughs> I'm a very passive watcher when it comes to Lord of the Rings. Mm, that's fair. I did my most recent full extended cut rewatch like a year ago. So, you know, I've seen it recently. Uh, <laughs> and I'm actually listening to that podcast, Newcomers, with Lauren Lapkus and Nicole Byer, who just did Star Wars, but now they're doing all the Lord of the Rings stuff. So it's fresh in my mind. Um, but, to, well, okay, to, to talk about the most important thing, Zutara. Like, mm-hmm. the, okay, it, and I didn't even, I, I 
in talking through it before in the non-spoiler section, I realized that it's even more directly about them because in the end of this season, they are literally in a crystal cavern and like have that whole moment together. Like, it makes me want to pull my hair out. I don't I understand. It's like perfectly written. I did, know. Did the produce, I don't know if you've talked about this before. Did the did the like creators and the writers know that Katang was going to be the end game, or were I they think, around with both? I think Katang was always going to be Katang. Like, yeah. was, I mean, literally, like that scene when Katara is like the first face he sees when he wakes up. That to me is like seems obvious. Um, I think Zutara was something that just came. Like, we kind of talked about this, um, but I think it's just something that happened or it's like a chemistry that people like the fans picked up on and then they started to play into it more as the show goes on um but yeah there the moments like that though it's like they definitely didn't and i don't think they intended for us to make the connection of the two lovers to uh katara and zuko because obviously they want us to be thinking about katang in that moment but it's it's true like zutara just works better in a lot of ways in ways that they didn't intend it's like yeah because in like, cause just like watching this, the Tale of Two Lovers is a great story. It just, it isn't about Katang at all. And, but every single uh, part of it directly relates to Zutara. So and not that like parallels have to equal Endgame, but it's just like another piece of the puzzle to make a logical conclusion to the relationships on the show. Um, but that's, you know, it's just, it, I'm a Zutara guy. I see this, these sorts of things, whether they're there or not. So that's just where I'm coming at, coming at the episode from. It seems like this episode is a Katang episode, even though it, it was written as a Katang episode, even though they tried, they tried so hard to make it a Katang episode. But I come away from it with so many Zutara takeaways. It's almost like yes, the entire show in one episode in that. <laughs> I feel like true. the part that's like difficult is that. Katara and Aang, like, I think you can see why it works. They're, like, sometimes I like to say that, like, opposites attract and similarities stay. Like, they, like, have enough of, like, the kind of sim similar-mindedness. They have the right values that, like, it works. It's a safe pick. Like, they'll be happy together, whatever. But, like, the upside, there's just, like, so much raw, like, chemistry and upside of Katang of uh, Zutara that, like, that's, I think, what's so appetizing for the fans is that, Oh my god! It could be like such like these polar opposites—the fire and water coming together, such different personalities, and yet like reaching this pinnacle of like what love is. Like the, it's just the, the, there's just a chance of so much, so much greater. But at the same time, like it could also just like totally flame out if it if they had gone long term. I I think I I agree. Like it, Ang and Katara can make sense. Like they've they travel the world together. They spend all this time together. And I really hate that I like kind of go in on Katang all the time on this podcast because I don't want to like alienate people. But I honestly, they're probably not here anymore if they like <laughs> are mad. I don't want to hear this. But like, it's, to me, I like like it. Katang could have made sense, and like it could have been a well-written story. They spend so much time together, and like they are friends, and it make like their relationship can work. It just, it, to me, it was not written in a way where, like, it does. So that's how I feel, it, compare, especially compared to the alternative. 
Yeah, for sure. Like to me, the appeal of Zutara, like we said, it just feels like a great culmination for like Katara and Zuko's stories. Like as characters, it would make so much sense for them. These two people who start out the series so having like holding such a horrible hatred of the other side, um, and then having similar journeys to where they can like see the viewpoint of the other side, or at least like understand each other, um, so they can like learn from each other in a lot of ways, which is just like more appealing. Whereas with, like we said, Katara and Aang, it's just, like, cutesy, and they already have, like like we said, similar values, so it's, like, are they really learning a lot from each other here? Um, I don't know. I, there are just, like, a million reasons why I like Zutara more, but we've <laughs> kind of... But we've been over that. them many, right. many times. But, like, the, when we talk, to the, talk about this episode, I think it's reasonable that we talk it through in this light <laughs> right i mean they presented us their argument for katang we're presenting our argument for the opposite for zutara yeah and also i mean and you can make the argument that chong was uh warning ang don't fall in love with the traveling girl mm, yeah <laughs> well, does that mean ang should fall in love with like song who just like chills in her house <laughs> yeah, great song does seem great i think that what they needed if they weren't cowards uh is the x current x-men story is that gene gray cyclops and wolverine are in a relationship and i think that that fixes everything because zuko and ang are obvious should obviously also date as well so you know i think that that would solve a lot of world issues if uh brian and mike would just you know let the world know that maybe that's what they were saying with the traveling nomads they were like look at this polycule uh, they're doing great together and they're traveling the world together. That's what Katang and Zutara should come to a head as. Interesting. I never thought of it that way. That makes sense to me. I mean, we've already talked about how Zuko and Aang have this underlying chemistry. And Aang does owe Zuko a kiss from Katara. So that makes sense True. to me. And why are we not... Where is... Uh, where is... Muko with an H at the end. Iroh and Muk and uh, Moku. Wait, Moku and Iroh are they a thing? Is Why this not? are, are you shipping? Are you rare pairing these two who <laughs> never interact with each other? Yeah, we needed to see that. Interesting. You you wanted like a bear on bear relationship. You needed that representation in your life. Well, we could do that. We could also wait for when uh, Iroh gets into just like ripped zaddy mode. Mm -hmm. yeah. the the gigantic never-ending rainbow that moku wanted to go see was iroh mm. yeah. <laughs> interesting and, and then get boomy in there like it to go back to another polycule what is it? i've never heard that word polycule we said it on the last recording i guess i it won't make sense if list like it won't directly lead to me saying that word if we if, whatever but it's like just a poly relationship okay yeah, I was saying all I was saying the three nomads are all together, which is what we discussed on the last on the last time you recorded, and that is the fix for the Zutara Katang war. Right. Well, that makes it all makes sense to me. Well, any other spoilery thoughts? Um, no, nothing uh, I can think of. Well, should... Austin, are you? How excited are you for the rest of the season? Oh, I mean, I love book two. Like, I just it's. I'm I'm with you, you two, in that like, it's uh, the best book on earth. <laughs> Get it? Oh my god! No. Um, <laughs> I guess with one pun. Um, 
the it just like it's such a gr- I just feel like the show had really established itself and like understanding the characters and are able to develop them so beautifully without it's, it's like almost effortless and just such great forward motion with plot while still keeping the kind of heart of season one and the characters. I like season three, but it just it feels like you like know you're moving towards the end, whereas book two, there's just like still so much room for exploration and world building and character building. But like you also get some really riveting plot in the in the meantime. And this the story is so uncertain. There's less black and white. What's going to happen with the Earth Kingdom? I just I'm so excited for to hear you both talk about the rest of it. Um, It's just I mean, well, the question I was going to ask, like, is this the last episode with like true innocence is the is the moment where they see Omashu just like totally destroyed. Like I, I know we lose obviously lose some with even with Avatar State and with the end of last season, but I feel like the heart like this episode as we're going is like so low key and like comedic as we said that like it does feel like a lot of those town episodes. But is this the last one that really has that vibe going forward? I would say in this season, I think Avatar Day is the only episode like that. Like Avatar Day, you could place anywhere really um, in the season. It would make sense. Um, well, actually not really, because I feel like if you take out Avatar Day and like maybe put it at even like episode two before this one, I feel like every episode like after that from here to the end would kind of lead into each other in a lot of ways, um, which I just speaks to like how well-written this whole book is it's like it feels just so connected and of a piece with each other um which is great like i feel like book one like we've said there are a lot of standalone episodes and then book three i think especially in the beginning they really try to recapture that in a lot of ways um but book two kind of is sitting in this place where it can be an entire huge cohesive story um which is like the strength of it and it also doesn't have to worry about one setting up things like we said or two ending like bringing an end to things like book three has to um so it can like sit in this sweet spot and just be a really amazing well-told avatar story i think that makes a lot of sense i also i mean to talk about like the innocence point that austin was talking about i mm-hmm. i never thought of it like that before but i think that like the one-two punch of zuko still stealing from that family and then omashu which is like what we remember from season one is like fun whimsical city where with fun character booby and like it like there was almost no like active conflict because there, the fire nation wasn't in the episode at all um so that's like an interesting it's like a complete like to talk about it as a loss of innocence like i think that that is perfectly apt because it does seem like boomy and like omashu as an extension is like this like i just like from the, the it's at the beginning of the story where they, it's actually to talk more about Lord of the Rings, what everyone wants. It's very similar to the scouring of the Shire when they come home to the Shire and it's overrun with orcs and like the battle still goes on, even though they haven't, it's not like it doesn't fit directly in the chronology of the story that we've been working with in Avatar, but like to come back to a place that you think of as this safe place where you'll finally be able to rest and like learn earthbending or be done destroying the ring uh, and like to have it be just like completely destroyed is um, the, a, a very palpable loss of innocence. And I think it makes sense to talk about it in that light, especially because I feel like once Toph joins the group, not that Toph, like Toph is a very, like she's, she's very sarcastic, but she's a very serious character. And I feel like 
having someone in the group who like is blind it just like in every episode just adds a layer of more maturity to just like every interaction from here on out even though i know they're all still kids and stuff but it's like it just a I don't know. It's just like a. It's it's just so interesting and uh, great that the show's done this. Yeah, I think yeah, like you said, loss of innocence is an interesting way to think about it because I'm trying to think of like an episode after this where Aang isn't like personally being challenged by something. Like when Toph is introduced, though they those characters have a lot of conflict just naturally, and Aang is being challenged to become an Earthbender in a lot of ways. Um, in the chase, he's being challenged to like hold a group together or just like maintain his cool. The desert is its whole big beast. And then obviously losing Appa is also just massive for Aang in a lot of ways too. So yeah, that's a good way to think about it is like, yeah, the loss of Oma, the fall of Omashu is really the last time Aang gets to be a kid in a lot of ways. And every point going forward, he kind of has to rise to the occasion a lot of the time. It's actually a very similar um, idea to like the, plot device of like a character having a sexual experience and then like god or whatever like punishing them <laughs> he has his first kiss and then he immediately <laughs> sees that his best friend might be dead like that it's it's not not in the show interesting so you're seeing a sort of um buffy parallel or even a um <laughs> friday the the original friday the 13th sort of like religious old testament god like striking down um these teens for having the audacity to kiss in a crystal cave yeah i think that this is one of the most christian influenced shows i've ever watched <laughs> for sure yeah the christian <laughs> god yeah comes down from the heavens says ah <laughs> and it's going through omashuberty oof <laughs> that's a bit of a interesting I don't even know how to, yeah <laughs> <laughs> stretch i don't even know how to describe that maneuver you just tried to make like a half well, rhyme i had fun <laughs> for this episode of pod um right i can't think of that any... was our loss of innocence yeah <laughs> yeah um yes yeah, uh same though i can't really think of anything else i think we've like a badger mole we've just plumbed the depths of this episode for sure. And make sure you stick around after we sign off for, um, I, I, I honestly can't remember a single thing we said other than that I felt really chaotic during it. Uh, and it was just a weird vibe. And Austin has a song ranking that we talked about for like 20 minutes. Um, so <laughs> Chong please. being based on like Cheech and Chong, I feel like we like, there was True. a to there too. That, I think that it's an important piece of the story for this episode of the podcast. And I, if I was a fan of the Bitter Drews podcast, I wouldn't want to miss out on it. Are you not doing an episode ranking this episode? Oh, right. We should do that. We should. Uh, I feel like I enjoyed this episode, but do not feel like it was like good. Like I think <laughs> it was like, um, and I enjoyed it, but like, like we, I don't think it was like, perfectly written or like well done like i like like Ugh. the zuko the zuko and ang plot lines not matching is like an interesting thing but that does, it makes it like 
bad storytelling. Um, so I'm, I'm going to put it um, as like number 10 currently for me in the overall ranking of the episodes. Mine's at 11, actually. Um, wow. Yeah, I feel like going like going into the episode, I always think of this episode as like kind of a classic or one you can always just like come back to. And it still is in a lot of ways, and it is fun. I think that's the ultimate takeaway from this episode. It's a fun episode, and fun can be good. <laughs> um, and so, but I like talking through it, I think there's just like to, I guess, draw the song parallel. It's like, there's not a lot there, 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 like, I don't know. There are things there for like Zuko, especially. Um, but it's still just like it, the, it, the intent of this episode is to be a fun romance story. And it is, um, but that doesn't necessarily make it more compelling than other episodes we've watched. Um, so yeah, I put it at number 11 under the waterbending master and above imprisoned. So yeah, I don't have a ranking, but I, I pulled up both the year two and I, I feel like the, well, now I'm the only thing I'm thinking is that we literally went the whole podcast today without mentioning secret tunnel. So hopefully people. Oh yeah. And for <laughs> Yeah. They're going to be like, why would, did they not bring up the most iconic thing about this episode <laughs> and not mention secret tunnel? But I feel like I would put it like there are so many book two episodes. There's got to be at least like 10 book two episodes I'd rank over this. But I would put it like six or seven for season one just because like it's so memorable. Like if, if I were if, if I were just thinking of the top like if, if the top 10 overall Avatar episodes I could think of, this is 100% on the list. And for the reasons we mentioned, especially like there is no reference outside of that. I think the only when I was thinking on it more. The only reference I can think of that I actually use or have heard is there's uh, there is no war in Ba Sing Se. Like it's that yeah. it's secret tunnel. And that's like the two. For sure. Yeah. And I, I think it is a failing on us that we didn't even mention secret tunnel in this whole past hour and almost a half. But it's because we spent half an hour two days ago talking about secret tunnel. Only uh, talking about that. <laughs> yeah. So and I, I completely agree us. And I think that if you were going to show someone like five episodes of the show this would easily be like a shoe-in because secret tunnel is like one of the cultural impacts that this show has had um but i i think and i think that if i were to compare it to many like town of the week less plot centric episodes it would be in the high rankings of how i of those episodes uh but yeah, I think I think it's ubiquitous with Avatar: The Last Airbender, but I don't think it's the best of what the show has to offer. Yeah, for sure. Well said. Just yeah. we should just talk about Secret Tunnel for like ten seconds, and then just you can just insert it somewhere. We'll just well, make out a memento style podcast. Bring I'll, out your tuning object that you used last time and start singing. Random yelling of Chong. Yeah, <laughs> I'm. I'm gonna put the audio of Austin singing "Secret Tunnel" at the very start of the episode, and then we'll go from there. Oh, good. Um, yeah. Well, to draw the parallel to the scouring of the Shire, um, not everyone thinks it should be there, but I think it's still worth checking out. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, Austin, thank you so much for being here, in multiple times this week for us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank you for having me. It was uh, it was a blast to talk to both of you as always, and I look forward to listening to the rest of your season's coverage. Yes, especially book two, but like I also obviously will be listening to book three also. For sure.
yeah. You so... got about 30 more weeks of coverage. So you, you, you <laughs> strap in. Right. <laughs> well, there are lots of part, um, like multi-parters in this book and the next book. So it might be a little shorter than that. Well, that's how, that's why I said 30. Oh, right. Again, math hard lighting all the torches at once austin where can people find you elsewhere you can find me at austin tatius <laughs> i won't leave you brokenhearted i'll try oh, not but you will leave them broke uh i mean if you venmo me i can give my venmo to <laughs> I don't think that happened please tip our girls <laughs> Please, for my singing performances this episode, if anything. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess we'll just sign off by saying I apologize to everybody for the next thing they're about to maybe listen to. Austin, <laughs> are you the first in a long, oncoming line of podcast buskers? You sing a little bit on podcasting, give your Venmo handle, and people can throw you a dollar if they feel like it. It's a genre and a, an, a, an economic opportunity that people are just not taking enough advantage of. The gig economy is alive and well. The podcast version of like the voice in American Idol. Mm -hmm. I love it. I mean, it's more <laughs> like Matt Singer because people don't know what you look like. Uh, the uh, I was gonna say the uh, mask singer is in like like you could do the gay version and but, but yeah, I don't know where I was going with it. So. Is there a straight version of the mask singer? It already seems pretty uh, queer coded to me. <laughs> I don't. I feel like the the, the people they get are are very uh hetero sarah palin most recently jesus <laughs> on right. the on a on a season of that show uh, uh energy hmm? that's not gay queer energy no it's not the opposite me. even <laughs> um but you can follow me at sam Sanish on instagram and twitter and my other podcast word on the streets uh it's a dream mm -hmm. and you can find me at rain derricks on twitter and us collectively at bitter jurors pod on twitter and instagram yeah. Austin, thanks again for being here. This was so great. Yeah, thanks. thanks. Love you. Bye. Okay, stick around and listen to us go <laughs> oh, insane yeah. for 30 minutes. Bye. <laughs> Whoa, sounds like someone's got a case of destination fever. <laughs> you're worried too much about where you're going. You gotta focus less on the where and more on the going. Oh. Ma Shoe. Sokka's right. We need to find King Bumi so Aang can learn earthbending somewhere safe. Well, sounds like you're headed to Omashu. There's an old story about a secret pass right through the mountains. Is this real or a legend? Oh, it's a real legend. And it's as old as earthbending itself. Welcome once again to Bitter Jurors. Uh, we are a queer Avatar The Last Airbender superfan podcast. Um, and I'm Derek Reiney. And this week, um, okay, nobody react to what I'm about to tell you, but I think my co-host might be the Avatar. His name is Sam Stanish. I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> um, but there's a reason I wear this headband all the time. Mm. Um, but that, and that's all I'll say at this time. Yeah, I see. You're not at liberty to say. <laughs> um, but this week, I'm pretty sure he's not the Avatar, but he is pretty good at making um, fan-made Survivor games. It's uh, Austin Trump. <laughs> that's pretty comparable, I'd say, right? Austin? 
Hey, river people. <laughs> Is that a tribe name from Survivor Maryland? I haven't watched all of the seasons yet. Uh, no, it's just that we're, we're just people. That's all we are. <laughs> um, I think if one of us were going to be the avatar, I would put my faith in Austin over me. I agree. <laughs> uh, he has good well, organizational skills. He's good at um, breaking up uh, steal the bacon related fights. Um, he, yeah, keeping the peace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and I too uh, would like to restore harmony to this world. So I mean, we're all <laughs> we're all the same in this regard. Um, anyway, thank you to Derek and Sam for having me. I am so excited to be not only on Bitter Jurors but also to be talking about this episode. Oh my God, Secret Tunnel! Hell yeah! Austin, we're so glad you're here to help us. I mean, we talked about it a little bit before we started recording, but like this episode is one of the, it's, I mean, honestly, it's one of the least important episodes to the plot of the show, but I feel like it has made the most impact um, on the culture outside of the show. I think it's safe to say that I think that I mean, litmus test, my boyfriend and I, I think the first time we ever discussed Avatar and knew that we were both fans of it is when Secret Something came up and one of us, naturally, because what else could you possibly react with, were like, Secret Tunnel! And uh, and then we both realized we'd seen the show. Like, is there a single other reference that is so well known from the series? I don't think that there's like another reference that like is referred to outside of the, like outside of the show like other than like knowing that ang has like blue arrow tattoos like i'm really <laughs> drawing a blank on what people like might even repeat right yeah it's like its impact is just beyond but um i'm a little i don't know i feel like if someone were to say secret my initial reaction is of course to say secret plan in reference to 30 rock um so yeah it's interesting true we'll talk about a real litmus test yeah, it's really a who's who of what what is the secret you're trying to keep. It could be secret secret Hitler or uh, what is what do we call it otherwise these days? Secret. I've heard secret H, uh, secret Hans. I believe was used at one oh, point. Um, but you know the. the, the oh, the, Russell Hans. I was like Hans, like Hanson. <laughs> what are we secret Hanson? That could also be good. Like the Detective <laughs> Predator, that's easy secret. No, like the band. Speaking of catching oh, music. Oh, oh, yes, yes. The speaking of people it. that make music, they're all the same. I <laughs> would put Chong the Nomad on the same level as Hanson. Would well, you I'm not? Very, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I definitely, for me personally, I would. And I think that he has a great number one hit and like i'm so glad his song secret tunnel is skyrocketed to the top of the charts but rewatching this episode made me realize that he like his other songs are also really good too not i can't think of one right now but while watching it um, i was like to me the breakout song is um don't be afraid of the cave-in Saka. i thought oh that was God. the best one <laughs> oh good that one was really good and it was just like you could tell like he was, it was just very improvisational but it's still a great beat a yeah. great storytelling yeah I, I will say, and we we could do this later if we want, but I wrote a song's ranking after watching the episode. Because oh. I know we love rankings of Avatar things on the Bitter Jurors podcast. Well, we're, we're here right now. Why don't you tell us your ranking of the song? Okay. If you wanted to give us a couple bars of each as we go through, I wouldn't. <laughs> yes. I, I try to refresh myself, so hopefully I can. The, the easy thing is that these all have the same bass tune. Like, every single song has the exact mm. same bass tune except for one. 
So it's just, but I feel like the reason I'm honestly very honored that you invited me onto this show is because I consider myself the number one fan in the world of improvised lyrics for random moments. And so mm. this episode just really spoke to me on a lot of levels. Is there a lot of competition for that uh, position? Uh, most people, it's hard to get to that point of the conversation because when you do start randomly singing things, they kind of tune you out and don't listen. So I'm not mm. sure. On okay. Okay. <laughs> just um, had to check. So um, let's see. Let me get... Let me get down to my bass tune. Okay, that was a random part. Um, <laughs> out of context, probably sounded weird. Um, yeah, a little. We'll go bottom. <laughs> I didn't know what that was. We'll go bottom. To, it was strong. We'll go bottom mm. to top. Um, mm. <laughs> no, <laughs> continue. Right. Um, I had a number you five. Have full uh, attention. <laughs> number five. I had. Don't fall in love with the traveling girl. It's just. It's just. You know, it, it doesn't really, it's a good introduction to them, but I feel like it just doesn't have the memor, memorability of the rest of the songs. What are your thoughts? Uh, I believe the next lyric is, she'll leave you broke and brokenhearted. Um, yeah. You know, it's a little repetitious there. I get what he's going for, um, but, you know, it's a little tinged with, um, like, traditional masculinity, which is, you know, not something I personally relate to. Um, so I agree. I, that's well, a good number five. To me, I read it as an ironic lyric because he's clearly fallen in love with the traveling girl. He travels around with his wonderful life partner. Uh, mm. You know, I, I don't want to ascribe them any labels that they haven't already given them given to us. But like she, he he travels the world with her. Maybe that's something he was told as a young man, and he's he's ironically being like, "But I did, and I, I'm happier than I've ever been." I see. Interesting. So are you contesting the number five spot or you're just remarking? Just, just you know, if we're going to analyze music on the, okay. op on the opening of this pod, I'm here to, I'm here to talk it through. Do we know her name? Because I know that we had, I wrote down the note, Moku is one of the guys. Right. Um, but I don't know if we ever learned her name. <sighs> I don't know. I feel like if they said it, it would have been like when His wife's were... name is Lily, according to a mm. Makes that sense. was definitely not said on the episode. And well, like, okay, you know, he, it says, I'm Chong and this is my wife, Lily. We're nomads, happy to go wherever the wind takes us. So they, right. are, they are husband and wife. Okay. Mm. Huh. And he's, yeah. his nationality is Earth Kingdom. He is a male with black hair color and tan skin. Interesting. <laughs> I had so many questions about Chong in general. And uh, one is, well, I'm kind of upset you proved that that's his wife because I thought that Chong was like, secretly a queer icon because instantly we see him comment about how lovely Sokka's underwear are or right. essentially lack of clothing. And then also like the all of them have some serious rainbow attire. Austin, I'm, I don't think that you you have any room to discredit someone's queerness by being in a relationship with a woman. <laughs> oh. <laughs> what hey, I just, I, who... Well, I, <laughs> I'm gonna just argue that he all he says is this is my wife Lily. He doesn't say, Mo, like we don't know Moku might also be his husband. We don't know the relationships going on here. Yeah, he didn't say this is my wife Lily, and I'm not attracted to men. Right. I know. I just feel like it was a very heteronormative episode, and I was hoping that was kind of the break from that. I think when Moku was excited to see a rainbow. That was pretty, yeah. you know. But then Sokka instantly came through and was very anti-Rainbow, which was a little concerning. 
Yeah, yeah that made that the, the energy that that created was not one I particularly cared for. Right. So, Sokka right. has his moments that we just, we kind of breeze them under the rug. You know, like the right. early season one sexism, the season two, episode two. Uh, homophobia. Homophobia. It's true. Okay, so what's number four? Okay, number four. Um, I went back and forth on the two here. Uh, ultimately, oh. I'm going to go with... Um, <clears throat> even if you're lost, you can't lose the love before it's in. <laughs> you see, people can't see this, but you two are both. You're nodding and playing and most, yeah. Which is really, truly how the episode went. Uh, but it's you can't lose song. love before it's in your heart. That's a, yeah, the, that's the ending song, right? Yeah. I think it's a great little button on the episode. Um, yeah. But I mean, I don't know. I guess I can't argue against the four spot for it. Are you not a fan of ballads, Austin, in general? Oh, I mean, no, I honestly, I, I, I had it number three at first. Mm. Um, I, it really ties together the episodes kind of through line very nicely, um, you know, captures really the, the ethos and the heart of it. Um, mm. It's just, and it's not a knock on it. I just think the top three songs are three great ballads, great jams. Right. Well, if it was so contentious, tell us what your number three was and we can maybe decide if your ranking was correct. Okay, my number three, um, and this is the one I just barely slotted over it, is, uh, let's see if I can get the lyrics right on this one. Um, don't let the cave-in get you down. Mm. Don't, uh, where'd it go? Don't, uh, something turn into a <laughs> See, that was my number one of any of the songs. I'm and, upset that that was even in contention for four, let alone is currently sitting at three for you. I mean, I just, it, it's a great song. And Into a Frown combined into one word. Great right. word. Um, we're referencing clowns. I didn't know clowns necessarily existed in the Avatar universe, but that's something we learned here in this episode. Well, clearly um, stoner polycules exist in Avatar, so <laughs> why can't clowns? Yeah. Uh, which was a separate question I had. Like, is the Earth Kingdom, and I'm glad Sam confirmed that these are Earth Kingdom people. Sorry, I'm going on a lot of tangents here. <laughs> the... <laughs> um stop me if it's getting out of control no but i'm the, i'm yeah. fully on board and 100 percent in on the <laughs> tangent from the tangent from the tangent that we're yeah. on yeah and if you were to go out of control i would never dare to stop you ever right right we love train wrecks uh in this mm -hmm. in the south um is the earth kingdom like the green aesthetic the sort of like earthiness of it is that supposed to relate to stoners is that what we're getting from here um, I mean, I feel like the the band folk are certainly supposed to be representatives rep representatives of a stoner culture. They certainly remind me of the Muppet band. Um, what is it? The Electric Mayhem? Is that what they're called? The band with like Animal as like the drummer from yeah. Muppets. It was definitely giving me that sort of vibe. According to the avatar.fandom.com slash wiki slash Chong trivia section, Chong's oh. name relates to the Chinese-Canadian actor and musician Tommy Chong, who famously starred in the marijuana-themed Cheech and Chong comedy movies. Mm -hmm. So if that means anything to anyone, I think that that answers our question. Right. Wow, that is a great piece of trivia. <laughs> That's where Chong comes from. Your brain didn't immediately go there. I started to think, like, is there, like, a like just how each of the nations is an element? Do they also have, like, a drug associated with them? I went down this whole rabbit hole, like, 
the air benders, you kind of get like the like probably like whip bands. Probably whippets. <laughs> like probably, like they probably filled up a balloon and got got to it, right? Like that's sort of the vibe. That's, sure. If it's air related, okay. yeah. <laughs> uh, fire. I mean, uh, I don't. <laughs> I had it as like it's like the people who pretend like they don't do drugs, but it's like in the fraternities they like doing like the cocaine on the side. <laughs> Coked up vibe. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> what about water? I mean, we can move on from this topic, honestly. Water, probably alcohol, right? That sort of, counts, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, this is the. Okay, let's okay. go back to the song. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So are we at number two now? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Okay, yeah. number two. Okay. Um, people don't know, but we just took all four of those drugs at once before we got on here. That's what's <laughs> happening. That would explain what's happening here. Um, number two, I had. Um, so the song starts off with it's actually a Sokka song. But Saki doesn't really. It's not his. It's not his game here. He's great at uh, other types of improv. I will say without going into spoilers. But uh, I know major spoilers there. But uh, he is not great at the improvisation for um, haikus. But I love the upbeat pace. The big bad bedroomole hates the wolf bats, but loves the sound. Yeah, that's a great one. Um, yeah. yeah. Spoiler alert: Saki is part of the Water Tribe chapter of Upright Citizens Brigade. <laughs> In a future episode. <laughs> um, yeah, I agree. I like that song a lot. I like the like um, rhythm up. Like it's a very up tempo sort of song. It's kind of you can feel the frenetic energy behind it. Um, yeah, thoughts, Sam, on this banger. You know, I agree that I, I, that with Derek from earlier. I feel like the the song we just discussed probably would be higher in my own rankings than this one, but. You know, I think that everyone's rankings are valid and all of the songs sung in this episode are great. All right, let's hear, Austin, how do you feel about the number one song? Which, what, what, where does that leave us? I mean, I, do, it doesn't even have to be said, you know? No, it has to be sung. Yeah. yeah it does it, does it, are we not over me singing? I kind of feel like- Why did you tune in the very beginning if it wasn't leading <laughs> I to I with a random yelp from Chong. It wasn't even musical. Mm. Uh, Okay, here we go. Can you guys at least give me like the background, like the guitar strumming? Like the dun 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 Two lovers forbidden from one another. A war divides their people. And a mountain divides them apart. Yes. I forget the lines. Secret tunnel! Secret tunnel! Um... Wow. And then we have to add in the extension part of and uh <laughs> I mean everything about the song from beginning to end. The construct, the cliffhanger, the filling in the get you know, the kind of like memento out of order it, the ad libs. Yeah, it's just mm -hmm. it's just impeccable. I agree, yeah. Um what I'm gathering from this ranking though is that you're definitely you're going for like the singles, the hits mm -hmm. and the ballads. Yeah. The book numbers kind of just have to lay at the bottom. The deep cuts. The deep cuts. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Did I miss a song? I feel like those were the five. That sounds no, right to me. I think that's it. I, I have pulled up the list of songs in the world of Avatar, and I think you've hit all of them sung by Tom. <laughs> so, uh, I, wow. I appreciate good. that ranking. We might have to ask our bitter duties if they agree with Austin's rankings or if he should be fired from his job at Pitchfork, which he clearly <laughs> has. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, I think my final note, though, on the Chong the Nomad uh, like section of this podcast <laughs> is that there is actually a musical artist by the name of Chong the Nomad in direct reference to this character. Um, and uh, I remember this artist uh, got her start on Tumblr by doing remixes of dialogue from Legend of Korra. Um, so everyone should check out Chong the Nomad. Her latest EP is really good. Um, yeah. Just thought I'd throw that out there. That little bit awesome. of music trivia for you. <laughs> yeah. I've never heard yeah. of this person, but that's yeah. good. Info. Yeah. One of the songs has been Gibbard of Death Cab for Cutie fame on it. Like, hello. I'm getting nothing. Okay. <laughs> I, I was processing. I mean, I, I, Ooh, I definitely yes. know who Death Cab for Cutie is. I was just uh, thinking Clearly. What, through to, what to say next. Is that Death uh, Cab for Bitter Duty? Judy? I don't want to. Duty. Okay. Well, Austin, this, uh, thank you for your ranking. What, what, <laughs> can you tell us about uh, how you got into Avatar? Uh, yeah. Um, I think I was, I don't know. I, I assume I was in like fifth grade or something and uh i think this was the first show and i, I heard in in the uh, episode one pod that i think it was true for sarah too it was like the first serialized show that i had seen um or maybe joe said that i don't know first serialized show that i had seen that i really like felt like i was committed to like on a week by week basis like i would sit down in front of the tv i would tell my mom i like no i have to watch this show at this time and to the extent where like eventually one of my neighbors and i actually uh, started to watch the episodes together week by week. So it was just a really fun thing to like keep track of and, and actually feel like I was watching in real time and experiencing and seeing it kind of develop and grow as like I was developing and growing. So yeah, just found it from being a Nickelodeon stand. Nice. That definitely, that reminds me that I too also would ask, can I please eat dinner in front of the TV because Avatar is premiering today. <laughs> Yeah, and you have to like use those cards wisely. You can't use it for every show. You have to like choose one to really make that work. And it was Friday nights, I feel like. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. The appointment television of my youth. Absolutely. Right. It was the dentist appointments and appointments <laughs> as a child. Living my life from dentist to yeah avatar i couldn't think of synonyms for either of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah those words kind of just do the job you don't need any other <laughs> word for it uh yeah that's a good yeah story well uh austin we also have to ask where like what bending element or nation are you beholden to yeah i i feel like it seems to be a, a fairly common theme with your guests at least, but I think I would be a water tribe. I, mm. I, I can't really see myself in any it's sort of process of the elimination. Like I, I can't see myself in any of the other three. And I think I have like, I don't know, like a, I, I, I never like, what, what are the traits that really do define the water tribe? Because I feel like earth, you get stubborn fire. You get that sort of like, uh, Water tri- I guess I would describe the water tribe as like being perfect, um, really awesome, <laughs> like really great kissers, uh, <laughs> so fun to be around. Why is this the Urban Dictionary definition for water tribe? <laughs> yeah. It will be soon. Oh um, well, yeah. in that case, yeah, water tribe sounds great. Mm, yeah, that fits you, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I also, yeah, I'm sure you're just like a big fan of parkas too. Of what? Parkas. <laughs> Oh yes, or who is outerwear of any kind, really? Yeah, you get I like great fall outfits. Yeah, it's perfect. Mm-hmm. 
yeah. sure. I mean, uh, Survivor Guts and Glory famously started <laughs> in a wintry environment. Uh, and we waterbended to make it go from icy and snowy to being clear for the challenge on day one. I mean, how else could you do that? I, I can't imagine another way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of, a, 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 I think that was the first of multiple uh, Survivor Maryland tribes named, oh God. Oh, okay. I just popped in and out. Am I back? You're still here. Okay. Uh, first of multiple. <laughs> Those women are multiple... getting to Austin. <laughs> Uh, wait, what is it, is it working? Yes. <laughs> yeah, you guys are frozen for me, and it said I left the call for a second, so I apologize. <laughs> I've heard every word out of your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, move on. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we like they say in the episode, we need to do whatever makes Appa most comfortable. That was what <laughs> I got out of this episode, honestly. Um, yeah, so let's start at the beginning. I mean, the. The, I I loved the beginning of this episode mm-hmm. because it was a great showcase of waterbending. Like right at the top, they were like, you know, we're not really going to have an opportunity to show waterbending again because they'll all be underground. So mm-hmm. why don't we uh, just do a nice little fight scene, some great choreo, great octopus movements. Love that scene. Yeah, it's yeah. Very cute, but I was also concerned Katara was really just flinging those ice shards at Aang. It's like, what happens if one of those connects? Like, it's over. <laughs> I guess she can heal him if it comes if it's too bad. They're like in a river. There's a lot of healing water around. How do you heal a, like getting impaled in the heart? <laughs> I also really think Aang uh maybe she just felt so secure that he really was uh, so comfortable in the octopus that he was like making the face as he's like trying to like uh like inflate himself to the octopus level that he's like making like a big bad face. Mm-hmm. I also noticed that, and I feel like <laughs> as we get into like, this is, is this really like the first Katang episode or had we seen it some in season? Uh, one? I think fortune teller counts really. I also feel, mm-hmm. I mean, I agree. And I mean, there's also, I, there's, I mean, there's not like full episodes devoted to Katang like this one is uh, really, but there's still like a lot of, hinting and like showing that Aang has feelings for Katara like from the first episode for sure yeah I feel like because they went all in here they like I don't I don't know if this is just because I hadn't rewatched it in a, in a few months now but I feel like they made Aang seem a little bit like lankier and like or like taller and like a little more jacked in the animation like he definitely had some muscles as they like make this like like age thing seem like less weird did anyone else notice that or just me I don't know if I thought Aang was a little more toned than usual, but um, mm, I could see that, <laughs> I guess. Um, but I mean, it's like Katara's 14, he's 12. It's not yeah. that weird, I guess. And though it's we don't more, care for it. It's more in like the personalities of it. Is like, Cause like, obviously like looking at the number, it's like a 12 year old, 14 year old. It's like, that's not like, like Derek said, it's not like very far apart, but Katara is like an adult, basically. <laughs> and Aang is like a six-year-old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, that is part of the discomfort. But but let's, I mean, I, I want to give Katang a fair shake here in this episode. Like, it's a good episode for them. And I'm not like against this episode. I still really liked the episode and enjoyed it. Even though, like, the ship. Right. Uh oh. Am 
gone. Hello. Oh no. <laughs> 